0: and I know the little ones are already poised and ready to go, but I'm going to ask them to come this way first before they go that way. Would you come and stand with me on the platform? All the little ones up through grade 4, and I promise I won't ask you to say anything. I just want you to stand here with me so all that your moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas can see you. Amen. Don't you love it? Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. You are a productive church. Amen. (laughs) And somebody told me that it must be in the water because there's a lot more coming. Is that right, uh, Chris and Anna? Amen. Yeah. We don't exactly know where it happened, but evidently Jesus and his disciples were together one day walking along the road, and they were having a conversation, the disciples, with each other. And it was going something like this. So which one of you do think is his favorite? When we all get to heaven, do you, which one of us is going to be most important? And evidently Jesus overheard it. <laughs> uh, did I miss something? Uh, listen, and he called a child and had a child stand among them. And Jesus said to the adults, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like these children is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Okay, kids, you can go. Thank you. Now look at the front of your worship folder, if you would, and look what I've written there for you. Like stubborn toddlers, we declare... I can do it myself. And our pride and our self-reliance and our refusal to see God's reality leads us down the wandering path towards self-destruction. Would you agree with that? Our best hope is what you see on the screen. Draw near to God. And when we do, a humble, teachable spirit will awaken in us. Allowing us to see reality from God's perspective and enable us to make our course corrections before it's too late. Did you bring your copy of God's Word? Would you open it with me to right about in the middle, the book of Psalms, Psalm 24 and Psalm 25? And if you didn't happen to bring a Bible, we have one for you. It should be under the chair right in front of you. Not hard to find the book of Psalms right in the middle, Psalm 24 and Psalm 25. And then please, if you'd take your notes out of your worship folder, because I think God gave me some pretty powerful things to jot down for you there. And I hope you brought a pencil because I made a mistake in my notes. Uh, Yep. Can I just tell you it was one of those weeks, you know? And so you'll see there on (laughs) on the first half of my notes, lots of Psalm 25s. 25, 1, 25, that should be 24. So make that 24. And then on the second half, where it says Psalm 26, that should be 25. I I wish I had a really good explanation. In my Bible, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27 are all on the same pages. So I guess I just got confused. But I think you'll find it's really good stuff. So, how do we become humble like children? Well, God says, if you'll draw near to me, I'll help you with that. And so look at the first verse of Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If you'll see in your notes, what I've done is I've taken uh, phrases from Psalm 24, little ones at a time, and I've linked another scripture with it. So in this case, I paraphrased a little bit. The universe is the Lord's and everything in it. And then Psalm 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name when I consider your heavens and all the glory that your hands have made. What is man that you're mindful of him? May I ask you, why don't you talk to me for a moment, what most amazes you about the universe when you look at it, when you contemplate it? Talk to me for a moment. What most amazes you about the creation of God's handiwork? The stars how it moves perfectly i'm sorry the gap Oh, the depth of it thank you the depth the beauty of it the scope of it the order of it the the names of all the nebulae amen when you look at all the magnificent creation of god what happens in your heart for me When I look at it, I'm awed. I can't make a leaf turn green to yellow, can you? I can't decide it's going to be 52 degrees in early November in Williams Bay, amen, can you? I can't decide when it's going to snow or when the lake's going to freeze over. So when I look at the creation of God, I'm humbled. And that's why, do you see what I've written for you there in your notes? The awe of God's glory seen in His universe humbles me have you ever met anybody who looks up and looks at all the evidence of God and goes "Eh, I'm not very impressed not really that big of a deal to me that's a sign of a hard heart and a distorted perspective God says I put it all there to awe you and to awaken in you a humble teachable heart Look at the rest of that first verse of Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. This past week, we surpassed 7 billion people, most of them living in cities, yet no two of them alike. So let me ask you to talk to me one more time. When you think about this magnificent creation called humans, human beings, what most amazes you about us? Anybody? we're all different thank you Shirley. that's right praise God for that how about the human brain does that amaze you or how about the human heart or the lungs or eyes or ears or toenails or anything isn't it just amazing how God has designed us so magnificently you remember that David wrote and I have it there for you in your notes in Psalm 139 you created my inmost being you knit me together in my mother's womb (laughs) Surely I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, so the God who made me search my heart, search my thoughts. You remember that in Jeremiah, Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 1.5, that God says, Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. I knew who you would be, and I called you to be my prophet. So I wrote for you there in my notes, My uniqueness made in God's image reflects God's glory And it humbles me. How about you? Are you humbled when you look at the evidence of God's greatness and the personal attention that he took in making you? In verse 3 of Psalm 24, it says, So who may ascend the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? I don't know how old David was when he wrote this or or where he was, but I wonder if he was thinking about one of the great heroes of his ancestry. A man who eight times, as far as we know, hiked up Mount Sinai for the purpose of standing in the presence of God. In Exodus 34, it tells us that God came and stood before him and they spoke to each other. Three times he went up the mountain and spent 40 days and 40 nights to be with God who am I speaking about Moses Moses. you might want to jot down his name in your notes next to that who may ascend the hill of the Lord who may stand in his holy place I've linked that as you can see with Psalm 63 where it says "O God earnestly I seek you my soul thirsts for you my body longs for you because your love is better than life I wonder if you would agree with what I wrote there my innate hunger to find and know God is undeniable. Go anywhere in the world, meet any living human being, and if they have a brain to think, they will tell you there's something down inside of me that says there must be a God. All this couldn't have happened by mistake, and I would like to find that God. Whoever he or she or it is, travel around the world and look at the extreme to which people go to find God. God. God placed that hunger inside all of us. My innate hunger to find and know God is undeniable. It humbles me when I consider that deep inside of me is this passion to find God. My self-reliant pride, however, deceives me dangerously. Do you find that true in your life? That if you're not real careful, rather than that hunger drawing you to find God and placing you into a humble place, can well up inside of you a pride that says, I can satisfy my own longings. I'll figure out a way. You remember the first king of Israel. And you remember that Samuel was sent by God to that first king and he had to tell him, King Saul, God is removing his hand of blessing upon you. He is removing from you the privilege of being king over his people. You have become prideful. And arrogance is evil like the sin of idolatry. You have now said to God, you don't need his help. You've pushed God away, and so God is now saying to you, then I reject you as the king. I cannot trust you anymore. And so I remove from you the privilege of being king over my people. The contrast between pride and humility is unbelievable and something we have to understand. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. You remember that David wrote in Psalm 51 have mercy on me O God I've sinned against you cleanse me create in me a pure heart could I ask you to hold out your hands and just look at them for a moment just look at your hands for a moment there's no one on this planet that has hands that look exactly like yours did you know that the lines that are in the palms of your hands there's no one else that has them exactly like yours the fingerprints on the end of your fingers no one else who has them exactly like yours Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands. Now look at your hands as I look at mine. Do you have clean hands? I don't mean, and you know that, did you wash your hands before you came in this room. What I'm asking is, think back. Every keyboard in front of a computer screen that you have touched in the last several weeks, everything you have written, email, do you have clean hands? Every website that you have drawn up by punching in the web address, do you have clean hands? Every text you've sent on your telephone, do you have clean hands? Every business agreement that you have signed, every check you've written, do you have clean hands? Everything your hands have touched, Every doorknob your hands have grabbed to open. Every time you've picked up the television remote and every time you've touched it, do you have clean hands? Every coin and every dollar bill you've handed across the counter for what it was purchasing, do you have clean hands? Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may step into the presence of God, he or she who has clean hands and a pure heart? Are you glad this morning that we all can't see your heart? Would it surprise me you to, for me to tell you I'm glad you can't see mine? I, I wish it was a perfectly pure heart. I cry out as David did often. God created me a pure heart, but it's a, a human heart, and it's a sinful nature, and thoughts well up in my heart that I wish weren't there sometimes. Attitudes I find creeping up sometimes that I, I, I wish weren't there who may ascend the hill of the Lord who may stand in this holy place he who has clean hands and a pure heart and all of us say well I guess that disqualifies me because I don't have perfectly clean hands and a pure heart so I wrote for you guilt and shame are my response when I see my dirty hands and impure heart my sin in contrast to a holy God. However, amen, redemption takes me to my knees in humility. When I consider that in spite of my dirty hands and my impure heart, there's a cross in this church because God came here so that I could have clean hands and I could have a pure heart. What did my pardon cost God? Uh, How do I demonstrate how much I value what Jesus accomplished for me in the way I try my best to keep my hands clean and my heart pure in living life every day? Why would God go to such an extreme to rescue me and you, huh? When you think about the cross... There's something well up inside of you that overwhelms you with how unworthy you and I are. A deep and profound humility that God would care that much to rescue you and me and to offer you clean hands and a pure heart over and over and over again who may ascend the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol. Do you see that? Or swear by what is false. Does not lift up his soul to an idol. May I suggest it's not talking about have you uh, purchased or made by your own hands some kind of a statue and you've put it out in your front yard and you expect people to bow to it as they walk into your home or you have one in your home or you put one on the dashboard of your car or you're wearing one around your your neck on a gold chain that's not at all what it's talking about I suggest what it's talking about is have you allowed something to become in your life that is so important it has reached its hand into your chest and it has captured your heart and now if you're really honest with yourself everything and everyone else in your life is secondary to that and you will always find time for that whatever it is and you'll always find the money in your resources somehow for that whatever it is and you'll even push away the people who mean the most to you so you can pursue that which has grabbed your heart that is an idol can you name it for you Can you name the idol even something that might be good but it owns you and you know it and you try hard to not let it consume you but sometimes it does. Who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false? You remember the last time your heart was broken when someone lied to you? or when a friend told you you know that person that you're trusting they're feeding you a line the path that they're leading you down it's not true who may ascend the hill of the Lord who may stand in his holy place he or she who has clean hands a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false deceitfulness integrity and do you see the scripture that I linked with it here it's in Psalm 115 where it's talking about the people who make idols and those who worship them will become like them and so I've written for you there idolatry and deceitfulness repulse me how about you does it repulse you and drawing close to God's holiness I'm humbled that, that he would draw me close to him especially when I see how normal idolatry and deceitfulness can be in my life how easily i can allow some things to become so attractive they draw me to them and yet somehow god keeps reaching to me to draw me to him in spite of the fact that when i'm drawn to something or someone else i'm turning my back to him to pursue it this direction do you see that do you agree with that my friends You and I both understand there are good people, especially here in America, that are being paid huge amounts of money to find their way inside your chest and grab your heart. They're advertising specialists. And that's why the car in your neighbor's driveway is driving you crazy, even though your car runs pretty well. But it isn't right that their car looks as good as it does. You can just imagine yourself behind the wheel of that car and that's why sometimes you go out of your way to drive by that particular house and you can see yourself in it and it's bigger and nicer than yours I know me too doesn't it drive you crazy verse 6 for such is the generation of those who seek You, O God, who seek your face. I love that verse. It's saying that this description of these people who have clean hands and pure hearts, these people who do not allow that wicked, bony finger to get in there and consume their hearts and are not deceitful, that's the generation of people who are climbing the mountain to stand in God's presence. Such is the generation who seek you, but who seek your face. Is that us? the baby boomer generation. Would we describe ourselves as that kind of a generation? Is it the generation that preceded us, the World War II generation, is that them? Is it the generation that has followed us, those who are now in their twenties and their thirties, is that them? Is it the generation that's following them, those who are now in their teens and their preteens, is it them? And when I look at this, my friends, I have to ask myself an honest question. Are the children and the grandchildren that are following us saying to us, I know how not to do it thanks to you. I know how marriage doesn't work thanks to you. But I have to look awfully hard to find how marriage is supposed to work. I know how to live consumed in debt thanks to you. But I have to look far and wide to find somebody who can live within the restraint of their income. We can't go back. Let's not beat ourselves up for the past. But behind us are coming two generations that are saying, please show me how to do that. And to live like people with clean hands and a pure heart. To live like people who have protected their hearts from those things that would reach in and grab them. To live like honest people, people of integrity and character. Please show me how to do that. And so, at least in my Bible, right across the page to Psalm 25, verse 8. Look at it, please. Good and upright is the Lord God, and he instructs sinners in his ways. Oh, there it is. Now we're getting the answer. See, you and I have to say I'm sorry to the generations that have fo- are following us. I'm sorry I have failed you. I wish I could be perfect, but I can't. But here's where the answer is. Good and holy is the Lord. Know him and open your heart and your mind to him because he will instruct you. And that's why David wrote, Teach me your way, O God, and I'll walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name, O God. And so I've written for you there, my dear friends, regardless of my family, my ethnicity, my education. My way is not God's holy way. It just isn't. How about you? But as His Holy Spirit leads me in His way, I'm humbled by that. I'm humbled that He would care that much about me and that He would want to help me become the man, the woman that He designed me to be regardless of where I have come from. Amen? I'm humbled that God would invest Himself in helping me change. How about you Uh, I am humbled that God would risk his reputation by letting me bear his name and if you call yourself a Christian guess what you and I as we walk through the journey of life every single day wherever you go you're carrying the reputation of God himself with you as I am I'm humbled that he would allow us to do that I'm humbled that He would draw me close to Himself and that He would place His Holy Spirit in me. What about you? Look at verse 9 of chapter 25. He guides, what does it say? The humble in what is right and teaches them His way. Do you remember that Jesus said to His disciples, I'm going to send you the counselor and He'll teach you all truth and He'll guide you in what is right. But look closely at what I've written. I remember when I wrote this this week, I I, I wrote it as though I felt like almost God was guiding my fingers. And I looked at the screen, my friends. Only when I am humble is my heart ready to be guided by God as I learn and follow his truth, his ways, and I learn to live holy humility. It's his expectation of me as his son or his daughter, his ambassador. Only when I am humble is my heart ready to learn. Most of us are parents or grandparents in this room. Many of you, as I look through the room, have in the past or are now suffering the pain of teenagers or 20-something kids who have found themselves in that dark place that you knew was going to happen and you did the best you could to teach them and to warn them, don't go there, don't learn to make those decisions, don't hang out with those people. But they rejected it and now they have found themselves in that dark place and alcohol and drugs and in some cases prison is all too familiar to them and your heart is broken, am I right? why didn't you hear me i tried my best as your mom and your dad nobody loves you more than i did why didn't you hear me because they didn't have a teachable spirit because something welled up inside of them that said mom and dad you're so old you can't even figure out how to tie your own shoes you don't know what's going on in my life i'll do it my own way and god says watch that carefully because unless you have a humble teachable spirit you will not respond to him guiding you and teaching you and shaping you like that magnificent picture we saw today with the potter's, potter's wheel pride will prevent you from hearing God's voice and experiencing God's loving shaping work in your life every time do you agree with that? Pride will prevent you from hearing his voice or experiencing his loving, shaping work in you every time. A humble heart, a teachable spirit. As I look around the room, many of you are employers. And yes, of course, when you employ a person, you want someone who's going to show up to work on time, Somebody's going to give you a, a fair day's work for a fair day's wage, somebody who's not going to steal from you, But isn't it true that you're looking for someone who has a teachable heart so that when you say to them, in my organization, this is how I want you to do this. This is how I want you to communicate with our customers. This is how, right? And doesn't it drive you crazy when you have to sit down with that person and say, now this is the fourth time I'm trying to explain this to you. And nothing has changed except you don't seem to get it it's not your way in my organization it's my way in my organization and if you insist on not allowing your heart to be teachable you're moving yourself more and more into the column of obsolete I don't need you in my organization it's the same way with God where God says this is now the fifth time you and I've had to have this conversation about this problem open your heart humble yourself let me teach you here Because there's an enemy here that is getting a hold of your heart and rebellion is waking up inside of you and a hard heart is going to keep you from learning my ways. Only when I am humble in my heart is it ready to be guided by God. As I learn to follow his truth, his ways, and I live humility, that's his expectation of me. And that's why verse 21 in chapter 25 says, May integrity and uprightness protect me. I've paraphrased it just a little bit in my notes. May integrity and holiness protect me because my confidence is in you. Is there anything more valuable in your reputation than your integrity? Hmm? May integrity and holiness protect me because my confidence is in you. May integrity and holiness protect my mind and my heart as I do the best I can, God, to position myself for you to reshape me and refine me on a daily basis. May integrity and holiness, oh God, work in my relationships so that my relationships are God-honoring. May integrity and holiness work in my decisions and my destiny and my legacy and my life. God, help me to see that It's the condition of my heart and my mind. It's when I allow self-reliance, pride, arrogance to well up in me that you must remove your hand of blessing. You cannot bless a prideful, arrogant person. It's when my heart is humble and tender before you and I'm awed by who you are and your willingness to, to be my rescuer, my redeemer that you're able to shape me, right, and teach me. And so that's why Micah 6, 8 is the last verse I have in your notes for you there. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. We think we have to do something to make ourselves holy and acceptable before we can come to God, to somehow prove our worthiness to Him. But holiness is not what God wants from you, Holiness is what God wants for you. You cannot make yourself holy. Only God can make you holy. You cannot earn holiness. Your generous acts of charity may make you a great philanthropist, but they will not make you holy. You cannot learn holiness. Your wealth of, of knowledge of the Bible may make you a great theologian, but it will not make you holy. Holiness is God's work. It's a gift of God's grace. And the only way to get holiness is to surrender to the work of God in your life. Amen? To surrender to the work of God in your life. As you see, we have the communion table here. We're going to be served in just a moment. Our theme verse for this year invites us, I believe, to own this today. You'll see it on the screen. Would you say it with me, please? Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I'll not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. Trust in Him at all times. My salvation, I understand that that trust, that depends on God. I can't save myself, and that's why communion is so important. It's the work of God coming here in the person of Jesus Christ, and when he hung on the cross, he took the full wrath of God in punishment for your sin and mine, and that's what the bread represents. You can't save yourself, and neither can I, but Jesus stands ready to save you, ready to cleanse you, ready to heal you. And your honor depends on God? Yeah. That God's work in your life of refining you to be a God-honoring, holy man or woman as you submit yourself to His work. (laughs) In part, that's what the cup is all about. His shed blood makes it possible for you and I to be cleansed of dirty hands and hard hearts. Makes it possible for us to be drawn into relationship with a holy God as our Father makes it possible for him to place his Holy Spirit within us and to love our lives in lockstep with him. So let's talk to him right now as we prepare our hearts to be served communion. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this moment and the privilege that we've had in the last few moments of hearing your truth. Please penetrate it deeply now. Do we have clean hands in this room, O God? Or right now, do many of us need to repent repent? confess quietly privately before you of the things that we know have dirtied our hands before we hold the communion cup do we have pure hearts in this room God or are there attitudes and things that we need to confess right now before we take the bread that reminds us that that Jesus took the full punishment for our sin Lord Jesus Christ We take these moments to prepare ourselves to honor you by receiving communion. Here at Calvary Community Church, you do not need to be a member of this church to receive communion. We only ask that you're sure you have trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior so that you can join us in honoring him as your Savior when you take the bread and the cup. Let's put ourselves in an attitude of worship, a position of prayer, Repentance, confession, if that is what is needed. Receive God's touch in your heart. As the men serve us the bread, please. You hold in your hand a piece of bread that symbolizes the body of Jesus Christ was badly, horribly abused and broken. The wrath of God was being poured out on the sins of the world. But also the hatred of Satan was being poured out on the Son of God who was among us. And he took it all for you and for me so that you don't have to experience the wrath of God for your sin. Amen? The full price has been paid. So as we take this bread, we're able to, each of us, thank Him that He paid your price. And if you've trusted Him to be your Savior, Hebrews tells us that He hung on the cross for the joy set before Him. That's you. That He knew He was going to rescue from Satan's condemnation and stronghold on your life. So let's receive it, please, in his honor.